This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This podcast is sponsored by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 5000 is the latest digital autopilot providing increased safety plus decreased pilot workload. It's being certified for Part 23 and Part 25 retrofit aircraft such as high-performance turboprop and turbine jet aircraft. To learn more about the STEC 5000, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. This week on Hangar Talk, the examiner will see you now. And the gamma numbers are in and they're looking pretty good. Also, your local town wants to regulate drones. Let's hear about some cool tech from AirVenture. All right, Dave, you ready to do some Hangar Talk? Let's do some Hangar Talk, Ian. From AOPA, your freedom to fly. This is Hangar Talk. Yeah, the 1056 turn right heading 130, contact final 132.4. Turn right, contact. With your hosts, Ian Twombly and David Tulitz. This is Hangar Talk. Welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. And I'm David Tulis. And uh, David, you spoke to our guest this week, a really, really interesting guy, Mr. Uh, Barry Doctor, I should say. Dr. Got, Barry Butler yeah, from uh... Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. Yeah. I chatted with him at AirVenture. It was a little noisy in the background, but we've, we've got the, the feel, the, the sounds, if you would, That's right. of AirVenture. And he had some great things to say about the growing pilot population and, and what they're doing at Embry-Riddle to keep it growing. Okay, fantastic. And I know one of their challenges, I'm sure, and, and like a lot of people around the country who are going for um, new certificates and ratings these days is examiners. There's really a nationwide shortage. Funny enough, partly uh, as a result of the FAA, so their failure to bring on examiners fast enough, and they also kind of purged the roles a couple years ago, and now they're telling us they're working to reverse that a little so bit. So there were some delays. And actually, I remember back when I got my certificate and I had to schedule my check ride with my flight examiner. And it, it took some doing, mm-hmm. Ian, to be yeah, honest with you. It does. And yeah. I think it's gotten worse since then, because yeah. of you know, partly because of regulations and partly, you said, because of the fact that the, the ranks of the examiners haven't haven't swelled you know, like they should have. Yeah. And of course, the number of students is going up and number of new applicants is going up to uh, you know meet the demand for the uh, hiring shortage that's that we see going on. So the FAA is doing a couple of things to try and address this. A couple of them I think are pretty interesting. One is there, you know, there's always been these geographic restrictions. Yeah, I didn't quite understand that till I read that the other day. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you work within a FISDO uh-huh. as an examiner and yeah. um, everything is very local. Well, they're going to try and sort of knock down some of those barriers. Sort of kind of cross-border pollination, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Some other things they're going to... Um, 
one thing, you know, when they had some issues a couple of years ago with examiners, they there was a, a couple, just a few, um, really not good actors, and they were doing like five check rides a day, which is a lot to do. Yeah. And so they limited that to, to two. two. Yes. So that kind of knocked a lot off the plate there. Yeah. And if you're in line to get a check ride, uh, you can't. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times. That's right. And so especially for schools that are pumping out like multi-engine add-ons and good check point. rides that aren't really that long. I yeah. mean, they really can do more than two a day in some cases. So if you're, yeah, if you're doing a private or an instrument, I imagine that's very, very thorough. Yeah. And but you're right, a little add-on here, or there, that kind of thing. It shouldn't be too bad. But I mean, I understand the the amount of stress, and the amount of time and dedication. You know, for each student, you want to give them a fair shake, mm-hmm. and you don't want the DPE to be you know saturated or or not safe. Yeah. You know, you want to be fresh. Yeah. The whole I am safe thing. Yeah, absolutely. And so the other thing they're doing is nationalizing the DPE system. It's been, as we said, very regional. Uh-huh. Um, so they're they're going to take this a little more into Oak City and look at it more systematically and see, are they meeting demand around the country and how can they help do that and bring on more? So I think that's great. And yeah. now we should mention a couple of our friends in Congress are helping put this through. And uh, Senator uh, James Inhofe of Oklahoma and Tammy Duckworth of uh, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And they're really uh, big helps to uh, GA all the time, really. Yeah, yeah that's and, right. And uh, trying to look at how to get more pilots in the air, get them in the air quicker. Yeah. It's just going to exacerbate, um, you know, the workforce shortage that we have going on. That's so, right. Yeah. It's uh, pretty intense right now, and it's probably going to get worse unless they do something quickly. Yeah. Actually, going on to that theme, the gamma numbers, oh, yeah. which we talk about every quarter. Well, that's kind of related to DPEs and related it to is. new pilots and it new is. aircraft and old aircraft and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, all these things are related, right? So the gamma numbers were mostly good. They were. Really good around the trainer segment. They were. And that's no surprise to us and to our podcast listeners here at Hangar Talking because they've heard us talk a little bit about the Cessna 172. They heard us talk about the JTA, mm-hmm. which was a diesel-powered version yeah. that was there and then wasn't. Yeah. They've also heard us talk a little bit bit more about the Piper numbers, uh, which they had a Been huge excellent. order that they yeah. sold overseas. Yeah. And also ATP, another uh, very large flight school, has bought just dozens of aircraft from both Piper and Cessna. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So that piston, that light piston market's doing really well. Rotocraft, which had a bit of a correction a couple of years ago because of oil prices, yeah. um, that's starting to come back up, which is not surprising, I think. That needed to come back up. And in fact, it's the piston rotorcraft that's doing particularly well. They went up I think it was almost 20% this That's quarter. significant. From over the same period last year. It really is. Uh, they're up to, yeah, hundred almost 150, 149 deliveries over the quarter, which is great. That is good. Yeah. So did, did you see any highlights along the uh, on the aircraft segment, either, uh, either turbine or piston-powered that you yeah. thought were interesting? Well, I think in general, you know, and this is a trend that's been continuing, it's really good for our part of this segment, which, you know, try, uh, we said we we're saying training, you know, it's like lower priced intro. I mean, that's all really good because you need to refresh that trainer market. Yeah. But for the industry as a whole, they're finding more deliveries, which is a good thing. That that grew 5%, but less there's, billing. There's a flip side. I was going to yes. say, there's, why, why is that? So the price went down, but the delivery numbers went up. Yeah. So they're just selling cheaper airplanes. Interesting. Yeah. And okay. so I, okay. I, you know, that's hard to sustain over the long term because, of course, if you're trying to grow the company, it's like you're getting less, you're putting out more units, but less revenue. Right. Because they're like, less expensive models. Yeah. But exactly. more out there. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So that's, um, that's going to be hard correction for some folks, I think. If it, if it stays that way. 
you're saying that's right. But, but it, it's it has good been to have, a, yeah, it has been a bit of a trend the past couple of quarters. Good to retrench that way, get that get that initial market out there, kind of make it more robust, then add on to that. And again, you know, folks as they build experience and they are pilots, you know, they they turn from students to pilots, mm-hmm. and they maybe turn from pilots to aircraft owners. Yeah, they'll move. In theory being, they'll move up a little bit to a four seater from a two to a four seater, four seater to a six seater. Yeah, and else, you know, yeah. and on and on. That's right. Yeah, some folks up to turboprops, and which, by the way, turboprops are looking great. They um, are. Yeah, and, and, and uh, it seemed like that. That's uh, been a pretty solid segment right there. I was looking at the uh, King Air numbers, and they've uh, the King Air 350 seems to have caught on fire a little bit. Oh yeah, you know what that is? That's a lot of like defense work and like government contracting. Ah, and, well, yeah. The PC12s they went from 12 uh, aircraft in the first quarter to 19 in the second quarter. That's the, good. The Pilatus. That's that a pretty nice really aircraft. Good. Also, we, we saw. Some of the Platuses uh, involved with a um, Hurricane Irma rescue last year. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it holds yeah. a lot of stuff. Yeah, that's right. I should say, in the 350 also wheels up. I think they're taking a lot oh, of the Oh, that's right. Because they well. have, uh, they yeah. have uh, the, that, that segment of, you know, go ahead and, uh, and, and buy time. Yeah. That's all right. That yep. makes sense. Yep. So Cirrus continues to blow them away, right? Boy, I mean, man, they are just solid all yeah. the time. Yep. Yep. Looking really good. So. Well, yeah, there are a couple other uh, a couple of highlights that I saw yeah. to, to throw out at you on the Piper segment. We talked about this a minute ago, but they went from uh, looked like about sixteen aircraft in uh, first quarter to twenty two of the Archers mm. in the first quarter to second quarter. That's great. And, and again, the Seminoles uh, they doubled that from five to ten huh. recently. That's interesting. And then over at AirVenture, they they mentioned again that they're going to have like a diesel version of that aircraft uh, next mm. year. Yeah, for the European market. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. Now, what about Diamond? What do you think they're doing? Let me see. If I had to guess, I'm going to say Diamond was maybe up slightly or flat. Well, I'll tell you what. The Diamond uh, DA-42, interestingly, went from 17 aircraft uh, in the first quarter to, to five. Interesting. In this quarter, which is a little different. Interesting. Yeah, but they're still pretty solid. I mean, uh, about 27 versus 31 units hmm. from first quarter to second quarter. Hmm. Okay. I wonder why it's a little bit down a little bit. I wonder why. Yeah. Makes me wonder. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned Cirrus. They're strong. Uh, 113 aircraft total, tail aircraft in this quarter. Mm-hmm. And flight design was surprising to me. They picked up a couple of aircraft. We talked to them over at AirVenture. And it's good to see them kind of back in yeah. action again. Back and kicking. That's great. And uh, I'm worried about my buddies in Georgia. I know. The mall people. I know. They still haven't sold any aircraft. I know they're supporting them. Yeah. But uh, I just I, I worry about that. And what about Icon? They hit the scene strong. Uh-huh. They had four aircraft that rolled out in quarter one and one aircraft in quarter two. Oh, boy. That's not good. <laughs> That's not good. I mean, they just they got to produce at much higher numbers to sustain that going forward. Yeah, it's a little unusual. Yeah. A, a firm that we don't hear much about, but they're pretty big overseas as well, is Technum. Yeah. Oh, Technum's. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, it's so funny you say that. Technum is it's a sleeper. And they they're sexy airplanes. Huge, huge numbers <laughs> of airplanes. I mean, we've I think we've talked about that before, where it's like, what's the number two manufacturer? It's Technum. Yeah, it or is amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They um the P two thousand and six. That's one model. Mm-hmm. So and then the P two thousand and eight. The two thousand eight. Is that the high wing one? It's like a twin. Which one is a twin? Do you remember? Mm. Hate to put you on the spot. Oh my gosh. I thought. Oh, see, see. Okay, so Technum. Shannon, if you're listening, it's like the model designations for Technum have always 
confuse me because it relates to the year that the that thing they is introduced. Ma- yeah, that they designed them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like I think it's the oh gosh, well, the, I, is it the 2006 T? Is the twin? I the, think 2010. I think is it is the twin. Okay, well, Ian's got to look it up. I'm while totally we, yeah. While we I have going. to now because that that's gonna bug me. But interestingly, <laughs> here's the, here's the interesting thing about it is that um, they went from three of the uh, 2008 models to 18 and that's nice. pretty good and yeah, cranking them nice. out yeah and stayed about the same with the 2006 models at, at 12 and 13 respectively mm. uh we've seen a couple of barons get uh rolled out the door seven of those versus one in the previous quarter no. we already talked that's about amazing. the king airs and uh and the, and the cessna caravan that's a big people mover cargo mover kind of a thing yeah and uh 20 of those were listed on the gamma report versus this quarter versus 10 hmm. previous quarter hmm. And uh, and the 182s are still strong, and they they rolled out 41 Cessna 172s. Yeah, that's good. So we thought they that's weren't good. doing much, but they but you know Cessna part of Textron still is. They're pretty strong. That's good. All right, here we go. Latest update. So it is the 2006 T. That's the twin. 2006 T. T. Okay, that's got the it. twin. The P 2010 is the that's the really nice looking four seat sort of 172 ish class airplane. Gotcha. Beautiful. Okay. Uh, the 2008. Is the LSA? Oh, okay. Yep. Well, that's interesting. Yep. Yep. That is interesting. <laughs> well, they're doing a lot of LSAs then. And yeah. From the 2008 LSA uh, went from three in the quarter one to fifteen. That is amazing, actually. No, it's eighteen. It's even better than that. That's phenomenal. Yeah, that's really good. Hey, let's talk about something else that's growing. Drones. Okay, let's do. Yeah, drones. So this has been sort of, I would say, sort of simmering in the background, which is I think that, you know, cities, towns, counties, whatever, states, they drones scare them a little bit, which is understandable because you've got all kinds of issues that you didn't necessarily have with airplanes. Right. Like hobbyists who aren't trained, privacy issues because of cameras. Ethics and privacy are yeah. big issues. Yeah. And so right. you can understand you're sitting in this community meeting, you got somebody who comes in and says, Hey, you know, this my neighbor's bugging me with their drone. They're buzzing around the kind of loud. Yeah. Do something about it. Right. And so they want to do something about it. Like that's understandable. Um but of course, you know, thinking about them as an aircraft, if you had eight hundred different rules and regs to try and abide by when you're operating a drone it's like you would never be able to fly the thing. If you went from one municipality to another and the rules were different, it would blow your mind. Yeah. Just like doing aviation here in the States. You know, we know, you know, cloud clearance is cloud clearance. Yeah. It's that's what it is. Yes. You know, it wouldn't be different if you're in Alabama versus Washington State. Could you imagine? It's like you'd have to have these massive lines or shades or something on the GPS. And it's yeah. like, hey, you're in a new state, you got a new requirement for right. altitude so, or whatever it is. So a lot of local municipalities they want to, you know, govern that. And yeah. You need to make regulations for that. That's really not their place. Yeah, no, we agree. And um and so actually this was gonna be codified or it's tr- attempting to be codified in the FAA reauthorization bill. Mike Lee from Utah put it in as an amendment. Uh-huh. Um, and so AOPA, Gamma, NBAA, HAI, and a, and a coalition reached out and said, no, no, wait a second. You Unified know, opposition. Yeah. This is what would happen if you did something like that. So. Yeah. Well, that's smart to bring it up and to make sure that it's clarified right off the bat because it could really, like we said, it could be very confusing. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then it really, honestly, it puts the burden on law enforcement, too. And I, I would imagine that a lot of the local municipalities enforcement, you know, for, for those kind of purposes, they're already stretched thin anyway. Yeah. They should probably be going after crime and, you know, yes. fires and stuff like that. Yes. Well, it's funny you mentioned that, actually, because a huge 
obviously user of drones is or public. You know, they so are it's the like, well public safety departments. Yeah, law Absolutely. enforcement, fire sure. departments. It's like so to have to you know worry about that every time they operate. That would be difficult. Right. So yeah, definitely something to keep an eye out for. But um, just one of the ways that AOPA occasionally gets into the policy of drone and and how it might uh, impact drone operators in the future. A lot. The AOPA does a lot behind the scenes. That's just one example. It's yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah, that's right. All right. Tell us about these cool new things you saw at Oshkosh. I know you're really psyched about these. We've got two sort of different but somewhat related new pieces of tech. Well, one that really caught my attention for $1,000 is uh, is by the company Aerovonics. And it's an economical glass for your certified aircraft. Hmm. And so the AV-20-S, it's like a two-inch diameter self-contained multifunction display. I think this is cool stuff. And it's a, as you mentioned in a couple of podcasts ago, it's all brought about through the NORSI, yeah. uh, the non-required safety enhancing equipment pathway. Yeah. <laughs> I had to read that yeah. for, for podcast Say that five times five. That's, I, I that's why it's NORSI. <laughs> <laughs> but this is a neat device, and it mounts um, from behind the panel. It mm-hmm. takes up a regular circular hole, just like you would in a traditional DG or attitude hmm. uh, indicator. And um, and it's pretty neat. It comes with a little battery backup. Like I said, the price is attractive at a thousand bucks. So uh, and it's like twelve. You can get twelve different things to show up on that. Wow. So the idea is you can hook it up into the pedostatic system and get like attitude and uh, I think what is their angle of attack maybe on it and and the key um, thing that you mentioned was that you can hook it up to the pedostatic system and that's yeah. something I failed to mention which is a key yeah I mean that's awesome yeah that is very cool so obviously that we're talking well I say you know obviously but it's like with the Norsi policy that's going to be certified probably with very specific conditions but 12 functions I mean angle of attack with uh, with audio keys, a G meter display, mm. you know, with uh, attitude, a clock, outside air temperature, bus voltage, dual count up, count down. That'd be great for IFR students mm-hmm, and absolutely. IFR pilots. Yeah, engine run timer, flight timer, density altitude, and true airspeed, and more. Nice. Oh, and an internal battery backup. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, anything you could bring to the table just for safety enhancement, I really think it's, it's a noble effort. It's yeah. a great thing. That is very cool. I mean, you can imagine a future where it's especially like experimental owners and stuff. It's like they've got one display in the cockpit that's right in the middle. Yeah. And that's all they do. There's nothing around it. It's like one screen, and that's it's got everything it needs. So like little sport airplanes and stuff, they've got everything they need right there. That's it. Yeah. So this is helping helping those folks and helping us uh, certified flyers as well. Mm-hmm. So, so tell us about this other. This one's kind of a little a little more wacky. What's the deal with this thing? Uh, the wing bug. This is something that, that Tom Haynes wrote about that I know a little bit about. The wing bug, basically, it's a portable pedostatic system, and it mounts like on a on an mm. action camera mount, like a GoPro mount or oh, wow. a verb mount, mm. outside your aircraft, basically on a tie-down, something like that, on the wing. And so that provides portable pedostatic information. And, and this is a, a, another $1,000 uh, device with battery backup. And it can be attached under the wing, like we said, and it provides all all that information, including a, an ADAHRS, mm-hmm. air attitude, attitude heading reference system yeah. capability, yeah. which basically is like helping you keep your airplane safe and straight and level. Yeah, right. So what you would consider the, the classic six-pack exactly. you get through the Adahars. Yep. I think that's a pretty cool thing. Um, it, it, it's a little bit bigger than I thought it would be. It's about the size, Tom says, it's about the size of two fists hmm. put together. Okay. And so it's got a little streamlined uh, design. You'd have to see it to, to take a look. And you can look at AOPA.org and, you know, folks who are on the podcast, you know, listen, they could take a look at that. Yeah. So um, this is kind of interesting. And at first I was like, well, why would you need this? But when it sends it via Wi-Fi, 
to an Apple device that runs an app. The iOS, right? Yeah. So it's like some, there have been some sort of, um, you know, like portable, you know, attitude, heading reference systems, that sort of thing. But to have a really pedostatic system that again, can send it, you're going to get much more reliable information. Again, that's the key that you yeah. mentioned, the pedostatic system. Because I was asking some folks about that at AirVenture. In fact, there was a, a Founders Prize this year for twenty five grand. That um, that was won by a group that, that was looking to do an, an angle of attack indicator for flight safety. And we already know that loss of control is a big concern to mm-hmm. general aviation pilots. And so these devices will help out with that. So the so the pedostatic thing is just key. Yeah. It's giving you real information versus a computer generated, you know, yeah, derivative, essentially, right. yeah. Huh. Instead of artificial intelligence. I yeah, guess. yeah, that's really interesting. I think it's cool. Very cool. So I want to switch gears just a little bit and talk about a study that uh, you found that I just find fascinating. I, I've been really interested in this idea that as the pilot community, you know, the, the, the airline community, as they, you know, really blow up hiring, and um, especially with reaching out to uh, women in STEM and schools uh-huh. that schools are doing now, it's like, what's going to happen to the female pilot population? Yeah. Um, you know, they've been really working at this for years. It's like, why doesn't it grow? Why doesn't it grow? It's so low. Um, in fact, it has grown very, very slightly. Very incrementally. Yeah. Just a couple of percentage points yeah. in the past 10 years. Yeah. I've always thought of uh, the overall female pilot population in the U.S. is about 6%. And now they're now it's actually at 7 Which is a little bit of growth, but at least it's some. Yeah. But it's still, in my opinion, it's appalling yeah. that it's that low. I totally agree. Because female pilots are excellent pilots. Yeah. If you talk to a female pilot, they'll tell you the airplane doesn't know who's flying it. <laughs> yeah. You know what gender they are. That's right. As long as they're a good pilot. Yeah. So, I mean, we could get into all kinds of things about why that number might be like that and, and uh, you know, what the implications are and everything else. And, I, you know, there's another time for that. And I don't want to do that today. But one thing that's interesting about this study is when you look at it kind of globally, what's going on, which this did. So we know that all pilots as a percentage, 7% of the U.S. are women. Um, it 7% also, of U.S. pilots are women, but that's not the percentage that are professional pilots. Yes. That, now, that's even lower. 4.4% yeah. of, of folks flying our Delta Southwest United American mm-hmm. pilots are women, Yeah, which is low. It's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. It's terrible, really. It's not good. Well, yeah. that's about the same percentage as it is in the United Kingdom, mm-hmm. 4.3%. Okay. Um, and the one that this, I'm just so interested in is actually, so because the U.S. has such a big airline market, the gross number of female pilots are highest in the U.S. That makes sense. Yeah. But the highest percentage of women pilots, you would never guess where it is. I'm going to guess. Well, we know it's not U.K. Yeah. And we know it's not America. Yeah. Um, France is kind of a small country. Yeah. China had China hadn't really figured it out yet. No, from an airline standpoint, no. I, it's like Canada, me. I don't know. Yeah, I was thinking you know. Canada. Yeah, I read the story, but tell yeah. the podcast <laughs> listeners, it's uh, it's India. That's um, wild. Yeah, in India. Yeah. There's an I Indian had airline. No idea. I know. It's almost fourteen percent. That's pretty strong. That's it really double is. the amount of, of female pilots in the U.S. Yeah, percentage wise. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And so that's that's really interesting. I wonder if it has something to do with social mores or if it has to do with training or if it has to just do with their more openings 
I, you know, it's, it's just interesting to, to yeah. dive deeper into that. Yeah, it is interesting. So this study goes into more. This is the centerforaviation.com. 2007, the number of FAA airline pilot certificates held by women, so they probably mean ATP certificates. It's about 5350 in 2007. Today, it's almost 7,000, so that's good. Oh, so it went up a good bit. Yep. Now 1,700. Yep. That's, okay. That's, good. that's a good percentage. In 2007, the U.S. pilot population percent that were female, 6.1%. Today, it's 7%. Right. Okay. So that's a good. That, and and uh, when was the when was the first uh, data figure from what year? That was 2007, so about a 10-year so period. So 10 years, okay. Yeah, so we gained 0.9% in 10 years. Well, that's like 0.1% per year. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's not a lot. So it is um, actually, oh, this is an interesting stat. Okay, U.S. airline with the highest number of female pilots. Well, I'm just going to guess it's Delta. No. Oh, uh, United. United. <laughs> I looked at my yeah. cheat sheet. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to guess Delta only because that's a, one of the largest airlines. I think yeah. they had the most people. The most people would be the most women. Yeah, yeah, it is It is really interesting. And so actually United, uh, if I quickly look through it, it looks like it's the highest percentage of female pilots and also the highest total number. Um, and the Delta and American are kind of down there. Lufthansa is higher again than those. So it's really, it's kind of interesting as you kind of look through the numbers. Well, that's good. I mean, I hope I hope that those numbers will rise, Ian, yeah. because there's no reason why they shouldn't. And, you know, AOPA does a lot for that, too, to, to, to get the STEM programs out, the high schools. We've talked about that on, that on the program before, too, to get folks that are in uh, high school thinking about careers in aviation and really opening that up to, to everyone, mm-hmm. not just guys. Yeah. That's absolutely right. So speaking of careers um, and what's going on there, Dr. Butler from Embry-Riddle. Yeah, Dr. Barry Butler. I ran into him at AirVenture, and uh, originally I was thinking about just doing a a quick five questions with him to find out what's going on at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. But it turned into a nice little conversation that I think our podcast listeners are really going to be interested in. You've got you've got a pretty good crew here behind. Oh, absolutely! You. How many kids did you bring? Oh, so we have I don't know the exact number, but student-wise, we probably have um, I'd say ten students, and probably another six to eight uh, faculty and staff. So good number. People kind of come and go throughout yeah. the week, but uh, we like to bring a lot of students because it's an important part of who we are and interacting with prospective students as well. How long have you been there? So I've been at Embry Riddle for a year and a half. In that year and a half time, we've seen uh, some big changes in the aviation industry. Yes. Uh, tell me about some of the things that you've observed in that short time. Well, we've we've we're we're on the uh, the, the the upswing as you see it in the whole industry now as to where a lot of things are happening. We're seeing a lot of interest by young people in the profession. We're seeing um, you know programs expanding. Um, we're seeing the industry um, you know high demand for people in these areas. Um, so a lot of good things are happening. We're seeing uh, growing interest in programs that maybe you didn't talk about 10 years ago, things like uh, autonomous aircraft. We're seeing interest in commercial space. Uh, we're seeing interest in the business side of aviation. All things that kind of make up who we are, and, and I think that's an important part of the industry. You know, it's, it's uh, clearly the, the pilot, the maintenance side of things are strong, engineering is strong, but those others are growing quite nicely. Yeah, just to, to paraphrase someone else, 
it, it's like it takes a village it to does. keep the pilot going. It does. And and I think another area that um, that we're hearing uh, demand for, um, and not so much in the uh, in the private aircraft side, but more on the uh, commercial and military side is the whole uh, cybersecurity side of things. You know, how do you, you know, as you have what are effectively flying computers now, how do you protect those, um, you know, from intrusions? And, and so we have some nice research going on in that area, and we're trying to work with some of the industries and helping them understand some of the challenges. But these, these areas will grow in the future. Speaking of research, I, I, I sent uh, Ginger a quick note about this the other day. You guys are fixing to complete a pretty pretty badass wind tunnel. Yeah, yeah. So we've actually got a number of things. So you know, historically Embry Riddle was really focused 100% on education, and up to about probably 15 years ago, started getting more into the research because that's you. You really have to have the full spectrum of things that you do to be effective, and so. Um, there was an effort to start growing the research program, and that started with uh, uh, investments in people, you know, hiring faculty that, that were research active, uh, investing in facilities. Uh, one of them is the wind tunnel you're mentioning. The other is a um, kind of a research lab that's going up. And then the third part of that is a, uh, a research hangar, let's call it, that actually has access to the runway at Daytona Beach. And so what you'll be able to see then is uh, it, faculty and businesses that want to do research with us um, will actually have access right onto the taxiway for airborne research, et cetera. And so, so that whole area is going to grow. What you'll probably see is more applied research, you know, you know that is more applied to the industry and the businesses. Um, but uh, we're seeing growth in that area as well. The wind tunnel's opening up here uh, right about now, I want to say. They're still testing it. They have to do some... Uh, work on it, but um, very, uh, very high precision, uh, high fidelity um, sensors, you know, to measure flow and, and other parameters. And so uh, we're doing a lot in those areas now. So, yeah. Okay. I, uh, uh, jumping around a little bit. Yeah. I've done some research, I talked to other educators about generally the enrollment yeah. in, in college programs um, in, in the past year. And you've been at, you've been at uh, in yeah. for a year and a half yeah. or so. It's a hard to kind of compare, but have y'all seen an enrollment increase, you know, since, since before or since you've been there? Yeah, so I think it was actually it started before I, I arrived, but um, there has been a general growth in, uh, in interest by young people. Um, we're seeing record enrollments, basically. Um, we're um, getting very good students, um, and there's been a lot of effort by a lot of organizations probably for a long time that helps with that. In other words, you know, the kind of groups that are here at this air show today, you know, getting the word out that these are these are great careers. Um, there's many different dimensions to it. You know, as we said earlier, whether it's uh, piloting or maintenance or engineering or business, they're all interrelated, air traffic control, meteorology. IT. And so IT growing, uh, artificial intelligence and aircraft. So all of these areas, um, there's been good messaging out there. And I've seen that. Um, it takes a long time to do that. You don't just kind of put up a sign and say we're open for business. Um, you know, it takes a good messaging out there to young people to say, um, you may not necessarily want to work in maintenance, but you might be interested in air traffic. You, you still like the industry. And so that message is out there, and thanks to all the stuff that's going on at EAA, 
Um, it helps get the message out. I mean, you look at all the young people and walking in front of us here. Um, a lot of them are out with their families and exploring. And then while they're doing this, they're thinking about careers. You know, hey, what part of this? What part of this business can I get into and still be able to do stuff like this and enjoy myself? And that's the, that's the fun part about it. Yeah. Okay. Now um, let's talk a little bit about before kids get to Embry Riddle and they're yeah. you know in middle school and high yeah. school. AOPA has got a pretty a really big yeah. push to the American yeah. Fly program. You get uh, STEM. Uh, studies going in school to make it fun. Yes. What are, give, give me a couple of reach out activities that you guys are doing for outreach. Yeah, so we do a lot of summer camps is one example. Uh, they're going on right now. Uh, we have a variety. We have one that's sort of an explore aviation summer camp. So uh, young people will come to campus and, you know, every day they kind of see a different part of, uh, of the industry. So one day they'll be in the meteorology lab. The next day they might be in a flight simulator. The next day they might be in the air traffic control lab. Then they might go to engineering and then they might fly. And so during a week they get, you know, six different experiences. That's kind of a just, you know, test it out kind of in a lab uh, summer program. Uh, other things we do, we have more focused summer programs. We have one where students just come to campus and do nothing but fly. And they, they literally um, are intense flying, young people. Um, we have other engineering camps in the summer. And then we also do some outreach, a lot of outreach programs. We have something called the Gates Aerospace Institute, where in the state of Florida, we, we impact something like 56 different schools in oh, the state. High schools and middle schools? High schools. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So there's a, I call it a pipeline, but there's a, you know, there's activities you do with young people, and then there's those that go all the way through. And in fact, here at the show, um, there's the Kid Venture, I think it's called, over in yeah. the uh, uh, hangars back behind us here. That's an incredible experience. I went to it last year, and the types of, the types of activities that they've thought of for young people are dead on. They're exactly what they should be doing. You know, it gives them enough hands-on experience to do something. And those are for young kids. You, you have kids there that are, you know, in grade school who are learning how to, for example, uh, 3D print stuff or how to, you know, work with uh, with machining or stuff like that. So, yeah. All right, you got, you're talking, we're talking about outreach. You're talking about enrollment. Yeah. We're talking about some of the key uh, programs and facilities you guys have. Give me a little bit of your background. Are you an aviator? So I, so I, I started, uh, yeah, so the answer is yes, but my background's in engineering. I'm an aerospace engineer and did my undergraduate and graduate work, uh, undergraduate in aerospace engineering, graduate work in mechanical engineering uh, with an aerospace focus. Um, started uh, flying gliders when I was in college, so I have a glider rating, and then I just finished up my um, private just uh, about two weeks ago. So, so I'm, uh, I'm now both glider and private, so... So, yep, got them both. So, and, and, add into your ratings. And I'm going to keep moving on the next one. So, I'm going to start on the instruments as we uh, as when I get back to campus. So, good, yeah. good deal. Yeah. All right, now on to a real serious subject. Now, I know you guys had a real serious uh, loss of life recently. And uh, tell me, a can you tell me a little bit about how will the program change? We're talking about commercial. You know, folks who are studying for their commercial certificates, we don't really have to use these particular aircraft anymore. Um, I mean, how is Embry Riddle going to, or are y'all going to change that, or are you still thinking about it? Well, so so it's it's an active investigation, so I can't comment on the actual incident itself. I think that's inappropriate. I think we all know that in the industry, it takes uh, it takes the um, NTSB a long time to finish those studies. Sure. Um, uh, Coincidentally, you know, sort of what happened right a little bit after that was, as you know, that they changed the requirements on the 
so-called complex aircraft. And so we're actually able to do that with our other aircraft right now. So, um, you know, we always we have experts who kind of look at sort of our programs, what we're going to do in terms of the future. Um, we feel very good about our safety record. It's been impeccable, actually, you know, over the years. It's, it's, it's far exceeded the national averages by a long shot. And so we have people that are committed to it. We have, we have two or three people on campus alone who are just safety people. That's all they do is evaluate safety. So we're constantly looking at the safety aspect when it comes to the, um, to the actual training, I'll, I'll leave that up to our experts who are the experts on it. So, Fair, fair enough, fair enough. Um, uh, one thing that is sort of peripherally could affect you guys, because y'all buy a lot of aircraft, um, and I've asked all other man, I've asked manufacturers this question, we have a lot of trade tariff talk being, being mm-hmm. bantered about. You know, do you see that as a, as a factor in the future financially? Well, no, it, it hasn't come up in the conversations, you know, in terms of how that would financially impact. I mean, obviously, if you start thinking it through, and I'm sure people have, I haven't, um, you know, there's the cost of manufacturing, which gets impacted by those costs of importing different uh, materials. Um, no, we haven't really had much conversation. Okay. I think the biggest factor right now driving that is really demand. I mean, that's okay. the that's if you look at the demand on 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 training aircraft today versus five years ago it's quite a bit different it's it's hard to buy airplanes right now so that to me is the bigger bigger uh sort of thing we're focused on right now okay yeah. all right and we don't have to go down that road too much but i'll appreciate the answer to that i know you got to go in a sec uh we'll wrap it up real quick that's so, and i could get this from someone else but like do y'all know offhand how many aircraft y'all have uh, so around a hundred, okay. Total. That's between <laughs> that's, that's, that's cool. between Prescott and Daytona oh, Beach. Right. And about how many simulators? Ballpark. Uh, Ballpark. So uh, about fifteen to eighteen. Between the two. Between the two. Yeah. And you guys have a very robust online presence. We too. do. We have twenty three thousand students enrolled in our online programs. Um, that includes about half of those are military, and they're not taking full time loads. So when I say enrolled, I mean they're taking at least one course. But we have one of the largest online enrollments in the world, actually, 23,000 students, um, and uh, top ranked by U.S. News and World Report, uh, usually in the top five year in and year out. So that's a huge program for us, and it's okay. it, it addresses an audience of people that can't go to a residential campus. Yeah, yeah, they're can't, already in the military, but exactly. this could come to them. Uh, anything I didn't ask you that you want to add? You, you were great. I appreciate your time. No, no, that's fine. Um, uh, you know, I just add that you know when you look at our faculty on these campuses and in our worldwide program, which is the online. Uh, unlike a lot of universities, we have a lot of a lot of instructors and faculty who are um, who have decades of experience in the industry. You know, we have people who worked in the airlines for 25 years, and now they're on our faculty. We have people who have worked in the military. The, uh, you know, you name it. So we have a lot of experience-based educators on the campus. And it's something I'm really uh, proud of. I think it adds a lot to the students' experience. So. Would you say that they walk the walk besides oh, yeah. just talking the talk? Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you said it right. Good. Now, final question. I wrote yeah. a little story based on y'all's research yeah. on the uh, on the John F. Kennedy. Oh yeah, training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now, was that surprising to you? It was actually, yeah, yeah. And I and I'm one who I I, I always ask our folks. Do not put anything out until we've triple checked the facts and and you know make sure this is this is accurate. 
and they called multiple sources. You know, I said, I don't want just two sources, I want triple sources, and you make sure that this is true. And they did, and so so I'm very I'm very uh, happy they did the the work, and you helped you know with it that we got an article out that I feel really comfortable about because quite frankly uh, the um, the story is kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, cool deal. Hey, all thanks. Right. I don't I need to run. make you too no, late. No, 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 don't worry about all. Well, David, that, that was a, a great talk, and um, it's just got to be such an exciting time to be head of an organization like that. Yeah, and it's a strong organization. They have a lot of aircraft, as he mentioned. They're you know upgrading their fleet incrementally, as he mentioned. And but I can't, I couldn't even imagine being like the dispatcher down there yeah. with all those aircraft. But it's a big school, and yeah. I I've never been to the uh, Arizona campus, but and you know they do a they have so they have a Daytona campus, the Arizona mm-hmm. campus, and also we heard a little bit about the online campus, the worldwide campus, and yeah. a lot of folks are doing more of that you know long distance learning if they already have a professional career, as yeah. Dr. Butler mentioned. That's true, and I think you know Riddle was early in that; they were a pioneer in that, and uh, so it's been interesting to see kind of the rest of the education world up to that. It's really, really cool. Yeah. So, hey, cool. I think that's all the time we have for this week. I'm Ian Twombly. Our editor is Austin Hansen. And I'm David Tulis. Don't forget, you can catch us at aopa.org slash hangertalk. You can find us on iTunes and at the Sporties Takeoff app. All right. We'll see you next time. See you, Ian. Hangertalk from AOPA. Your freedom to fly.